Greetings in the worthy name of the Lord Jesus. Good to see all of you again this morning. I was um, in in response to the devotional. I was thinking about um, something that I read recently. Also, I was trying to remember if I could put it together. Probably not completely, but uh, it was in a Christian Aid newsletter of some sort that I, I am pretty sure that's where it was, um, that I read about uh, about a, a situation somewhere in Pennsylvania, uh, might have even been up in uh, Lewis town area uh, somewhere anyhow there was in this community a an adult shop and the local believers were burdened about this business in their community and they were praying about this matter and I, I I know there was at least once or twice that someone actually stopped and saw the owner outside and stopped and talked to him witnessed to him and uh, he didn't receive it well. Um, but the church continued to pray. The Christians continued to pray. And uh, at some point, and I don't remember how, what, or why, but at some point he went out of business. And the uh, facility became available, and a Christian brother bought it and has started a maybe a, a lawn furniture or something or shed display or something, some kind of a, put it to good use. So again, another example of, of uh, prayer and probably fasting. I don't remember <laughs> exactly all the details that were written, but uh, just to encourage us that God does care. And God does care about the the things. And if we as God's people get a burden and pray, he, he may not always answer exactly like we would like Him to, but God does care about truth and, and holiness and righteousness. <clears throat> All right. So today, uh, I invite you to the book of 1 John. I am going to begin a journey through First John. Um, I don't know if I exactly take it verse by verse or not, but uh, I'll give myself a little bit of liberty as to how I approach it. But uh, I am, uh, that is my goal, to... Uh, Uh, yeah, study and, and teach from the book of First John. Today we will uh, we will be looking at the first four verses of First John, and maybe we could uh, just uh, read those now. Um, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, 
and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. All right, maybe before we... uh, uh, go into actual verse, uh, examining the some of the phrases and content of the verses. Just a brief history, um, or yeah, brief uh, few comments. Um, so this is written by the Apostle John, and uh, the Apostle John also uh, is the author of the Gospel of John. He's the author of First, Second, and Third John. He's also the writer of the Book of Revelation. Uh, so we have a good bit of content, a good bit of uh, scriptural uh, content that comes from the Apostle John. Uh, on three occasions in the Gospels. Uh, In his gospel, he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And in the the Lord's Supper, uh, in that context, uh, it it talks, uh, it gives reference that he uh, he was leaning on on Christ's breast, which he was leaning, apparently sitting very close and leaning up against him in some form. Uh, So, John did seem to be, it does seem the scripture indicates that John, if, if there was any disciple who was exceptionally close in his relationship to Christ, it was John. Uh, and he's actually, I think I'm correct in saying he's the only one who actually died a natural death of the uh, apostles. The others all died a martyr's death, if I'm correct. Um John, at this point, is an old man uh, and is about to pass off the scene. Uh, And the church, the church has been in existence uh, at the time of this writing. The church has been in existence about 60 or 70 years. So that's a little while, you know, a lot of things can happen in 60 and 70 years. If you uh, reflect back on uh, 60 and 70 years in, in uh, this time era, um, you, you realize that a lot of things have changed. Uh, and while they weren't necessarily dealing with the, the technology changes that we are today, uh, the thing that I'm thinking about is the the, the 60 and 70 years. Uh, in that time frame, the there was a lot of things about the the gospel, uh, a lot of a lot of opportunity for diversions of belief and diversions of interpretation and diversions of of. Uh, what the what the gospel is and what it means and all those kind of things and that was a reality. Uh, there were there were nearly from the get go 
I don't know how soon uh, false and uh, twisted teachings of the truth began to emerge, but 60 and 70 years is there's a lot of opportunity in those years, and there was a lot that did actually happen of uh, diverse uh, teachings. Various uh, diversions of the gospel being taught. John, uh, in his book here, clarifies the truth of who Jesus is and what he taught. And in doing so, obviously exposes some of the error that was being taught in his day as well. So that is, uh, in, a, in a very, uh, if you took and, and described the book of 1 John in a sentence, it would be simply that uh, John clarifies the truth of who Jesus is and what he taught. Um, that's, uh, that is the book of 1 John in a sentence. So we're going to try to examine some of those things. Uh, and I'm not, uh, I'm not going to make it my objective to, ex- uh, to dig out and examine the, the errors that he was addressing. Uh, I'm, I may, may make some uh, light comments about him occasionally, but I personally am actually very limited in my studies of those kind of things. I know there was uh, what they called Gnosticism, uh, was a, a popular thing back then. Uh, there were beliefs that uh, Jesus somehow was not a real hum- in a real human flesh uh, body like you and I. That you know, just various diversions of what truth was. And John uh, addresses and clarifies the truth in in this little epistle. So I have uh, I've titled today's message: Eternity Enters Time. And uh, I think uh, we'll see that explanation a bit, uh, see that title explained a bit as we, as we uh, go. So the, um, the first point I'd like to consider is simply uh, the first uh, sentence here when he says, that which was from the beginning. I'd like to talk about that just a little bit, from the beginning, and examine that concept of uh, from the beginning and how it's used in Scripture and what it means. We're familiar with Genesis 1.1 where the Bible tells us in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, again, that word beginning. In Acts 15 verse 18 We have this phrase, known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. Uh, There we have the word beginning and it's used in terms of uh, beginning of the world. Uh, Let's turn to Matthew. Uh, Again, just looking at scriptures that uh, where this concept of beginning is given. Matthew 19, Matthew 19, verses 3 to 8. 
these verses refer to a beginning. The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. Then said, say they, then they say unto him, Why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? He saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. There we have uh, Jesus using that word beginning twice, uh, obviously referring to the beginning of time as we know it. Um, there in creation where God created male and female and uh, what God's intent was at that point at the beginning. <clears throat> and then in Revelation 22, you might turn there as well. Revelation twenty two thirteen. Again, uh, uh, the words of Christ, as they were given to John the Revelator, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And that term, that uh, Scripture is actually repeated several times in the book of Revelation, uh, maybe uh, sometimes almost word for word. I am Alpha Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And if I am understanding it correctly, uh, my understanding is that uh, Alpha and Omega are the first and last letters of the Hebrew or Greek alphabet. I um, Greek alphabet. Um, so, basically, first and last, uh, beginning and end. What is, uh, what is actually, uh, when, when that term is used, you know, Jesus says, I am uh, I'm the beginning and the end. Uh, John says in, in 1 John, that which was from the beginning. Uh, In Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning, uh, what does that term, what, you know, what is it, uh, what does it mean? From the beginning, in the beginning, I am the beginning. Uh, basically, as we see it here, uh, we looked at uh, Genesis 1, 1, which says in the beginning, we looked at uh, Revelation here very close to the end of the book, very, very close to the end of the Bible. And Jesus says, I am uh, Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. As we think about that term, beginning, uh, I simply, uh, I see it this way. Uh, the beginning is simply the beginning and the end is the end. In other words, uh, when they refer to beginning, they're referring to 
uh, in this kind of a context. They're referring to the beginning of uh, time, the beginning of uh, um, it, it, it's a it's a term that is is um, friendly to us. Maybe I could say it that way because it's a term uh, that we understand where we understand time. We understand uh, the beginning of the book. Uh, we understand the beginning of creation because we believe the book. Uh, so it's basically uh, in the beginning uh, refers to the creation when God set things in order and the end, obviously the end of the book when it's all completed and finished. And in Revelation 21, 1, uh, John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And also in Second Peter 3.13, uh, Peter says, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. And it, within those, within that concept, within the the, uh, the idea of uh, uh, Genesis one one, and the uh, we look for a new heaven and a new earth. Within within those phrases is the beginning and the end, and everything in between. Uh, and so, uh, as we when John refers to uh, beginning. Uh, that which was from the beginning when the scripture talks about beginning, it's speaking of, uh, I believe, the, the creation uh, and time as we know it. Now, what about before the beginning? What about before time? Uh, the Gospel of John which uh, is, again, it has the same kind of pattern that uh, John uses in his epistle. But John 1.1, Gospel of John, it says, In the beginning, again, uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And so, I'll just put a little bit of... uh, a mark up here for what we what is uh, termed as the beginning. So we have uh, the beginning and the end. Uh, we have beginning and we have end. And that, and this is uh, we'll just put the word time in there. Scripture tells us that one place in Revelation that time will be no more. Uh, so uh, when they're talking about the beginning, they're they're simply uh, uh, like we said talking about. Uh, the uh, beginning of time as we know it. But when John says um, in, uh, in his gospel, in the, the uh, epistle of 1 John, is worded similarly, but slightly different. But he says, in the beginning was the word. So he kind of takes us to a reference point and says, in the beginning, the word already existed. That which was from the beginning. When we get to this spot of beginning, this word, this one that I'm going to reveal to you, was already there. 
was already in existence. Uh, and uh, and like I said, the, the this term beginning is simply a term that is is uh, one for us to be uh, able to get a hold of uh, at the beginning of time. So before the beginning, the scripture tells us in uh, Psalm 41.13, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. So there we get into a term that uh, takes us past the beginning and past the end. Uh, as we know it. So what is everlasting? What is the uh, definition of everlasting? One concept is that is it is something that is properly concealed. Uh, another idea is that it is the vanishing point. Uh, generally time out of mind. Past or future. So... The vanishing point, uh, time out of, out of mind, past or future. So eternity, uh, everlasting, it, it goes either direction. So we, uh, we think in terms of time. So, uh, we can go back so far and then we get to a point where we, our comprehension can go no further. Uh, it's a little bit like you look out, and you can see, you can see to a certain point, and then from there on, you you cannot, you cannot discern, you cannot see, you cannot know, you cannot, and that's uh, when the, when the Bible talks about everlasting, uh, the vanishing point. So we can go back as far as we can go in our memory, in our understanding, in our studies, and whatever, whatever we can go to that point. And uh, uh, and that point is Genesis one one, and then from there on is the vanishing point, <laughs> and we don't uh, we don't have we don't have the uh, wherewithal to explain it, to uh, understand it. Several other verses, and you can turn with me in Psalms. Where uh, the psalm writer had a good grasp on this uh, concept. Psalm 90, verse 1 and 2. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. And see that there it is, exactly the way uh, we stated it there. You know, they they go back to is basically it's taking us past the point of of uh, 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 the vanishing point before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world even from everlasting, the vanishing point this way, 
to everlasting, the vanishing point that way. Thou art God. Uh, and that is, uh, that is, uh, that is true. That is a reality. Turn to a page to Psalm 93, verse 2. Thy throne is established of old. Thou art from everlasting. And there specifically from meaning eternity past uh, the vanishing point. Thou art from everlasting. Psalm 103, 17 and 18. By the mercy of the Lord, but the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him and his righteousness unto children's children to such as keep his covenant and to those that remember his commandments to do them. Again, just a a verse that uh, describes and identifies uh, God as an everlasting being from from everlasting to everlasting. Psalm 106, 48. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Again, the vanishing point that way, the vanishing point that way. Uh, everlasting to everlasting. And let all the people say, Amen, praise ye the Lord. <clears throat> all right, uh, Proverbs. Let's just look at Proverbs. We're thinking about before the beginning. And the... Uh, the reality of God's existence before the beginning. Proverbs 8.22 This, this uh, Proverbs is speaking of wisdom here. And And let's just begin in Proverbs 8.22. The Lord possessed me in the beginning of his ways before his works of old. I was set up from everlasting, from the beginning, or ever the earth was. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no fountains abounding with water. Before the mountains were settled, before the hills was I brought forth. While as yet he had not made the earth, nor the fields, nor the highest part of the dust of the earth. Of the world. When he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he set a compass upon the face of the deep depth. When he established the clouds above. When he strengthened the fountains of the deep. When he gave to the sea his decree that the water should not pass his commandment. When he appointed the foundations of the earth. Then I was by him as one brought up with him. I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him. <clears throat> and again, that uh, that scripture takes us past, past the point of beginning, uh, into the everlasting uh, existence of God. And as we think about uh, maybe... Uh, becoming a little more specific about Jesus himself uh, being everlasting. I, I mentioned how that John says in in his gospel that 
uh, in the that which was from the beginning, or uh, in the uh, when we go to the starting point, Jesus was already there in Colossians. 1, 16 and 17 says this about Jesus. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things and by him all things consist. And that um, clearly puts Christ in... uh, in eternity uh, past, before time. And going back now to First John, John says in verse 2, For the life was manifested, and we have seen, and sh- seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. And uh, basically that verse simply sums up what we've been talking about. Jesus, um, he is that life. He is the eternal life, as it says there. And he was, from beginning of time, he was already there. And, uh, and he was manifested to us. Um, we have seen him. So we've considered uh, the the concept of from the beginning and 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 uh, and before the beginning, and how Christ was a part of all of that. Now I'd like to think just a few minutes about the temporal reality of Jesus, and uh, what does the word temporal mean? Uh, the word temporal simply is, uh, the definition is of or relating to time as opposed to eternity. Uh, temporal. So, we were, we were talking about the eternal aspect of Christ. And uh, that from the beginning, he was already in existence. And uh, in eternity... Uh, in the vanishing point, he was there. Uh, but now the, uh, the temporal aspect of or relating to time. You know, Jesus had a temporal reality. Uh, and that is something that is sometimes denied in, uh, in uh, some of the... Uh, uh, it's later in First, in, in first uh, John here. In chapter four, verse two, hereby know we this know ye the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God, and that is that spirit of Antichrist. So uh, there uh, have been in the past, and and probably are even today, uh, teachings that Jesus didn't actually come in the flesh. Uh, that he was just somehow a, he was there, but he wasn't in a flesh and blood, blood, bones, body like you and I. But he was. Uh, that's what uh, 
John is saying here, he was uh, he was manifested to us. Uh, his temporal reality, his uh, uh, as it relates to time. You know, there's uh, there's one uh, main distinguishing factor between eternal and temporal, uh, and that factor is simply this body of flesh that we live in. Uh, that's the only uh, distinguishing factor between uh, our existence in the temporal or our existence in the eternal. And when we put off that body in death, um, then we'll be in the eternal, whatever, uh, whatever state we find ourselves, in, what we have prepared for. In Luke 24, and this is actually after Jesus' resurrection. Luke 24, 36. I'm reading a few verses here and this and and as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, Why are ye troubled and why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. And when he had thus spoken... He showed them his hands and feet. And while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, Have ye, have ye here any meat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and a honeycomb. And he took it and did eat before them. And uh, here they, uh, they, they were fearful. They were affrighted because they thought they were seeing a spirit. But uh, he goes to some measures to show to them that he was not he was, they were not seeing a spirit it was jesus in fact and he took uh, uh you can't touch a a uh, spirit you can't reach out and touch it grab it and hold it you can't uh, a spirit can't eat meat and so he does a few of those things just to again to demonstrate to them that uh, it was him and that he was in fact uh, risen from the dead and was uh, at that point yet in a body of flesh. <clears throat> and don't ask me to explain what he meant when he told some of those real early uh, folks who saw him immediately after he rose and he s told them not to touch him. He said, I haven't ascended to my father yet. I, I don't know what all that means and why, but uh, here... Anyhow, the temporal reality. Um, in uh, and we're we're really close to it here. Just a page over in uh, the Gospel of John one fourteen. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Uh, his temporal reality. He lived in a body just like uh, you and I do. 
And then we also have, uh, when we think about his eternal and his uh, temporal experience, his, his, that reality, we, we see in, uh, in 2 Peter 1, 16 to 18, we have Peter's uh, testimony about uh, the uh, Mount of Transfiguration. Second Peter one sixteen. Peter says, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven, we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. Uh, and there Peter is uh, just giving um, kind of a testimony about this their experience when they were in the Mount of Transfiguration and how uh, uh, they heard the voice from heaven, which testified of... Christ being the Son of God, but he's standing before them as a human being. So we have those uh, two aspects of Christ uh, witnessed right there in that event. Paul says it this way in 1 Timothy 3.16, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. So the temporal reality. Uh, John says here that, uh, again back to 1 John, that which... uh, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, we have seen with our eyes, we have looked upon, we have beheld him, we have beheld his life, our hands have handled him. The word of life. Uh, basically uh, clarifying uh, the fact that Jesus was in fact the eternal God made flesh and dwelt among us. Um, And uh, John kind of sets that record straight again that that was exactly the way it was. And they they witnessed it, they heard it, they saw it, they they um, they were there. Now, John's response to the things that he has seen and heard. He says here in verse 3, that that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you. And uh, and in verse 4 he says, and these things write we unto you. Um, so John, uh, uh, John had, uh, like we said, he had, uh, he had been a disciple. He spent his, uh, his uh, he was with Jesus during his ministry. Um, he was uh, an early uh, apostle, uh, church planter, preacher, walking in the Spirit, uh, God working in his life in various ways. Uh, he 
had the uh, the Isle of Patmos there, uh, the experience there where God met him there in a in a very profound way. So he had a lot of, uh, and he's now an old man, and he's had a lot of uh, a lot of experience, a lot of. Um, He's he's seen a lot. Uh, he's under he he has a, a, a full understanding of the gospel. Um, he's been on a journey with God all those years, and he's about to pass off the scene. And he says, uh, "The things that we have seen and heard declare we unto you. These things, verse four, write we unto you." My mind went to so John is he's got he's got a lot. He, without question, he 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 understands the truth of the gospel. Um, he understands it uh, well. He's he. If you could sit and talk with him, he could probably tell you answer almost any question about the gospel you'd want to ask. He's got uh, he's got a a wealth of of understanding, a wealth of experience, a wealth of of knowledge in in knowing the Lord and walking with Christ. First of all, as a person, and then with the Spirit over the years of his uh, life in church planning and ministry. My mind went to um, uh, a natural illustration of uh, perhaps might convey a little bit how John might have felt having all that information that uh, he was blessed with in knowing the Lord. And this illustration is in uh, in Second uh, Kings, beginning in verse in chapter six. Verse twenty four, Second Kings six twenty four. This is uh the situation here, let me read these verses and I'll give a little more explanation. It came to pass after this that Ben-Hadad, king of Assyria, gathered all his hosts and went up and besieged Samaria. And there was a great famine in Samaria. And behold, uh, they besieged it until an ass's head was sold for fourscore pieces of silver and a fourth part of a cab of uh, dove's dung for five pieces of silver. Uh, there they are, Samaria is in a great strait. Uh, they're surrounded by an army. They can't come or go. Their food is getting all. And they're even down to the point of selling uh, pigeon dung. Uh, so wonder they still had pigeons among them. But anyway, uh, imagine the plight. And a little bit later, we even discover that uh, in verse uh, 28 and 29, there's, uh, we read about these uh, two women that each had a son and they agreed to boil one son one day uh, so they have something to eat. And So the, this, the, the plight is, is severe, very severe. And then we get to uh, chapter 7 and... Uh, Elisha, the prophet, says to them, Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, Tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. Then one, then a Lord uh, on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, Behold, 
If the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? And he said, Behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes, but shalt not eat thereof. So basically, this uh, this uh, person who was uh, one of the king's right-hand men uh, basically said, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, that's not it wouldn't even happen. Uh, anyhow, so then down further, uh, there's uh, verse 3, there were four lepers, leprous men at the entering in of the gate. So they're, uh, they're apparently just sitting right at the gate, outside the gate, apparently, because they were leprous and were supposed to be outside. They're sitting there at the gate. And they said one to another, Why sit we here until we die? If we say we will enter into the city, then the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. If we say, if we sit still here, we die also. Now therefore come, let us fall unto the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live, and if they kill us, we shall but die. Now these uh, four... Four men, they basically evaluated their situation and decided they had three options, and each of those options is probably die. Three ways we can die, and uh, but they decided there's one opportunity that where they might perhaps find mercy. They'll go down to the camp of the Syrians and see what they do with us. So they rose up at twilight to go into the camp of the Syrians, and when they were come to the uttermost part of the camp of Syria, behold, there was not a man there. For the Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots and a noise of horses, even the noise of a great host. And they said one to another, Lo, the king of Israel hath hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. Wherefore they arose and fled in in the twilight and left their tents and their horses and their asses and even the camp as it was and fled for their life. And when these lepers came to the uttermost part of the camp, they went in into one tent and did eat and drink and carried thence silver and gold and raiment and went and hid it and came again and entered into another tent and carried thence also and went and hid it. Then they said one to another, We do not well. This day is a day of good tidings and we hold our peace. If we tarry till morning light, some mischief will come upon us. Now, therefore, come, that we may go and tell the king's household. And so they went and told the, the uh, king. And, and uh, the story finishes out that at first they weren't sure if the uh, Syrians had just gone out a distance to wait for him to come out and then seize back on him. But they soon, after some examination, discovered that... Uh, they uh, they were in fact gone, and just like the prophet Elisha had said, they sold uh, a measure of fine flour for a shekel and and so forth. But the purpose of reading that is uh, these four leprous men. You know, they they went into the camp. They suddenly realized they had a wealth at their fingertips, and they they went into one tent and seized everything they could and went out and hit it and went back in another tent and seized everything they could and went out and hit it. And then they said, you know what? We're not doing well here. We should go and share this. You think perhaps that's the way the Apostle John felt 
in, in his uh, latter years of life, having a whole wealth of understanding about Christ and the gospel and truth, and having lived it and lived in its reality, probably having as deep a knowledge and walk with the Lord as anyone's probably ever had, you know. He was a man of God. He was he lived many years and he he was and he probably uh felt a little like these uh I can't but write. I can't but communicate. I can't but uh I've got to pass on the, the things that I understand. And so he says in in uh in his uh, epistle there, that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you. Uh, we are, uh, uh, we're passing on the things that we have seen and heard and know about the truth. John did not hide what he knows, what he saw, what he heard. Uh, and John clears the muddy water on a number of subjects. His heart is that we would have an accurate understanding of the truth. For how can we respond correctly if we don't understand it correctly? And so he put forth some pretty uh, diligent effort to clear the murky waters on a number of truths uh, through this uh, epistle. And it is a fact that if we don't understand the truth correctly, we won't respond to it correctly. And that is the dilemma of much of Christendom in our world today. Uh, having either a partial understanding or a uh, twisted understanding. A, and therefore, they, they, uh, they, don't have, uh, they don't, aren't able to respond correctly because they don't understand it correctly. And that's the challenge of, of uh, studying the scriptures with a, a continually with an open heart to see whether we are understanding it the way God intended us to. <clears throat> so, John's response. He declares the things that he has seen and heard. And the purpose for it is simply that, as he continues here in verse 3, the things which we have heard, seen and heard, we have, declare we unto you that ye also might have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So the result of uh, knowing, first of all, the truth, understanding it accurately, and then responding to it is fellowship, as he says it here. Uh, fellowship simply means interaction uh, interactive relationships, communion, sharing in common, participation together. Uh, and as he says it here, we have fellowship one with another and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So as we as, we as individuals understand the truth and respond to it, we enter into fellowship with others who also have understood the truth and responded to it. And that fellowship is not just with others, but it's a fellowship that is with God as well. Um, and we know, we're familiar with uh, the fact that in Genesis, uh, Adam and Eve had fellowship with God, but they, uh, they violated the terms of fellowship by sinning. 
and that fellowship was severed. And uh, the, the, the interaction and relationship with God became considerably more distant uh, with the human race. And then uh, through Jesus Christ, um, Colossians uh, 1, 13 and 14, we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Uh, Colossians 1, 20 and to 23 speaks of being reconciled to God. Through the body of his death. Uh, so while Adam and Eve uh, uh, violated the, the conditions of fellowship. And their fellowship with God was severed. Jesus through the shedding of his blood. For the forgiveness of sins has paved the way. For us to have that fellowship restored again. With God. <clears throat> to have... Uh, that communion, that uh, one-on-one relationship with God again. And when we think about uh, that, you know, the John's concept of fellowship here, we have fellowship one with another and truly our fellowship is with uh, the Father and with His Son. Um, kind of rush through that a little quickly, but uh, 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 Jesus... We see in the early church, the uh, in the book of Acts, it talked about um, yeah Acts two forty one and forty two. Then they which then they that gladly received the word were baptized, and the same day were added unto the. Unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And so there uh, we have the, the church at its birth. And uh, those that heard the message and received it entered into fellowship together. Uh, and and that those verses describe that fellowship a bit. They... Uh, they uh, they were brought together by their common faith, and that faith was in, in God, in Christ. And so they were experiencing fellowship together as believers uh, in the beginning of the church. Now we see, we, we, uh, when we get to Acts 15, we see a situation where that fellowship was tested. And uh, we might uh, not be sure if they passed the test or not. Uh, in Acts 15.36. Just reading a few verses here. And some days after Paul said unto Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought it not good to take him with them who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. And the contention was so sharp between them that they part, departed asunder one from another. Uh, and Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended of the brethren under the grace of God. There we have a, an example where that fellowship that was supposed to be a part of their experience was tested. And uh, I guess I'll let you decide whether they passed the test or not. 
later we have Paul actually asking for John Mark to be brought, that he's of a benefit to him. So what changed, I don't know. But uh, nevertheless, um, one of the, the things that is uh, given in Scripture is that uh, the, the, it's the heart of God that we would have fellowship together, that uh, we would uh, be that community of believers who are working, interacting, and, and in a sense doing our Christian life together. To a, to a point, uh, yeah, obviously we all have our own jobs. We uh, we're not uh, spending seven days a week uh, together. Uh, but I think you understand the the, the heart of, of John here. The uh, we have fellowship because we're uh, we're uh, we're of one faith. We have one belief. We we uh, are one in Christ, and we have fellowship one with another. And our fellowship is with God. <clears throat> and while our fellowship may at times be tested let's uh, always continually strive to bring our own hearts into into uh, I don't know is submission the word submission to that uh, fellowship of Christ and his believers and his body and then uh, uh, John in verse 4 here uh, he gives kind of the the a capstone to what he's uh, thinking here. He says, and, and, and these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. Um, remember, well, let me say this first. These things write we unto you. I believe he's talking about everything that he's going uh, to be continuing to write. He's, he's uh, not just what he read uh, wrote in the first four verses, but the entire epistle. These things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. Um, joy, Jesus says in John sixteen twenty four. Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. Uh, Isaiah sixty one verse ten. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord because my my soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorneth herself with jewels, her jewels. So, the, the, I will rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. You know, that is... That is a word picture of salvation, you know. Uh, uh, clothed me with garments of salvation, covered me with the robes of righteousness, and and uh, the writer speaks of rejoicing and uh, thinking about joy. Jesus, uh, as Jesus said there in John sixteen, that your joy may be full. Joy is a fruit of the spirit. It's listed as one of the fruits of the spirit. Joy is not something that we try uh, that we go out and try to find and add to our life. Uh, it's not a commodity that we buy or that we possess, uh, go and capture somehow and, and take it with us and make it ours. Joy is actually a byproduct. Kind of don't like to use that word uh, because it almost 
uh, has a degrading concept to it, byproduct, you know. Like there's there's the good product and then there's the byproduct, but that's not a way I'm using the word at all. It's the result of. Joy is the result of. John says, I'm writing these things unto you that your joy may be full. I'm explaining these truths to you so that you can understand them correctly and so that you can respond to them correctly and then you will have a full joy is basically what he's saying. Uh, His purpose for writing is so that we would know the truth accurately. We would be able to respond to that truth accurately and the result is joy. Um, So, yeah, joy is a result of something else. It's a result of a heart that has found its rest in the Lord. It's a result of a heart that has is found is uh, has surrendered to Christ, uh, has experienced the forgiveness of sins, has uh, overcome or or been able to rest in the Lord in the various uh, experiences of life. Uh, how does a uh, a person who is uh, thrown into prison for their faith. Uh, Paul and Silas were an example. They sang at midnight. Uh, obviously, they were singing with with joy. How does that happen? Their heart had found its rest in the Lord. And that is John's uh, burden here, uh, that the things that he is writing, that uh, he passes them on to us so that we can have an accurate understanding we can respond uh, correctly and we can experience the joy in our journey that the Lord actually desires for us. Uh, to be experiencing joy is not, uh, it's not, uh, oh, what am I looking for? It's not a negative thing. In fact, the Lord wants you to experience joy in your journey. Uh, it's it's part of God's uh, will and desire for his people. So, eternity steps into time. Uh, we kind of got away from that uh, title uh, toward the end there. Uh, but uh, that's uh, basically part of John's argument is that uh, the eternal Christ stepped into time and changed uh the fate of humanity in a very mighty, powerful way. So, may God uh, inspire your heart with, I hope, with a few of those uh, thoughts. And uh, perhaps if we're able, let's kneel together and we'll have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, again, thank you this day for this assembly. Thank you for your... uh, love and grace and care for each of us in the journey of life. Thank you for uh, the scriptures that we have openly and freely here in uh, the country that uh, governments that have allowed us to handle the scriptures in this way, in an open way, and teach and uh, pray, Father, that As we have uh, considered a few of John's thoughts, uh, I pray that uh, it could uh, be a means of inspiring and encouraging us in our journey. 
uh, knowing your faithfulness in the past, knowing your, uh, you are eternal, knowing that you uh, have always, uh, there's nothing, uh, nothing that's uh, unknown to you, nothing that's a surprise to you in life, and uh, help us, Father, to rest in that and to walk faithfully with you, to, uh, to love the truth, to understand the truth, to respond to the truth, and to uh, make a difference in, uh, in our lives, in, in our world, in, uh, in our time on earth, that uh, when we uh, cross the finish line, we can do so with joy and peace. So thank you, Lord. Thank you for this assembly. Thank you for all who are here. Pray also for any who would have had a desire to be here and are not able. Bless them as well. And Father, grant us uh, faith and courage to be uh, strong, to fight a good fight of faith, to lay hold on eternal life. We thank you in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.